Momentum, helping men succeed in life. Hi, this is Momentum Australia, and this is a follow-up session with Kevin Young. You probably remember we had a conversation with Kevin, and we talked about his early days and his childhood and getting into the drug scene and how ultimately he got to the breaking point of attempting suicide, uh, but pulled back from that, but then... You know, went on a journey and ultimately found faith. And so, and on this show, we want to talk about the next phase. You know, what happened to Kevin here? He he'd found faith. He, you know, he had all these drugs in his caravan. What on earth happened after that? So, welcome, Kevin. Yeah, hi, Des. <laughs> good to be back. Yeah, it's good. So, tell us what happened. Uh, um, tell us that story. Yeah, well, actually, if you don't mind, I'll just back the truck up one little bit, and that is. The part we were finished off with last time, I didn't mention just prior to uh, my conversion, was uh, I was in the drug scene and I did a trip to Noosa Heads and I was in a combi van, the old split-screen combi, and on the way up, you know, we'd been smoking hash all the way up and anyone who's in the drug scene knows you call the leftover part of your butt a roach. And, uh-huh. and so if you're desperate and you haven't got any drugs left, you get all your roaches, which got a little bit of hash in it, yeah. and you pull them all apart and make one good joint out of it, see? Right. So uh, me being a conservative drug dealer, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kept all the roaches. And, uh, but we hit out, we had a block, an ounce and a quarter, I think, and we screwed it into the fuse box of the uh, combi. Oh. And on the way up, we picked up a hitchhiker. Anyway, he was a police uh, plant and he got in our car and uh, he wanted to buy some drugs off him and we showered him a couple of joints. We didn't sell anything because we only had an ounce and a half. And uh, so we gave him a few joints and he got out of the car a little bit later. He obviously then rang the police up and as we went over the border uh, at Greenmount, uh, we parked in the parking area there just before Snapper Rocks and that area. And as soon as we parked there, it was like the biggest bust. I mean, three idiots in a combi. We had only an ounce of drugs. It was like a huge bust. Five police cars, you know, it was ridiculous. They pulled us over and found the matchbox I had with all the roaches. And even though they pulled the seats out of the car, the hubcaps off the car, everything, they never found the ounce of hash we had. And they put us all in the, in the police car, took us back to the, to the jail, and they said on the way back, they looked around, they said, if one of you own up, the other two of you can walk free. And at that point, my two mates, really good mates, looked at me. (laughs) (laughs) They wanted you to step up. (laughs) Yeah, so I took the rap, ended up in jail overnight, next morning in the court, and uh, I had a $300 bond to get out. And my mates, I don't know how how you'd call them mates, we had about 310 bucks for our Noosa holiday. And so they had to spend 300 to get me out or have a holiday. And it was a seesaw event. They were wondering whether they'd do that or go and enjoy themselves. <laughs> Fortunately, they did and they got me out. And uh, we ended up up at Noosa where I had a major surfing catastrophe up there. And anyone who knows Balling Pot at uh, Noosa, it's a very famous break. And I got caught inside on the rocks. And uh, so it was a very nasty year. But that was the end of things before, um, you know, just prior to our last conversation where I gave my heart to Christ. Right. That's an amazing, amazing story. So, Kev, here you were. Um, we'll go back to the same scenario. You had a garage full of, or a caravan full of drugs. Yeah. And here you were, a man, now a man of faith and wanting to live for Jesus. And and so t- talk about how that played out. Yeah, well, I still had the 100 grand's worth of dope. Yeah. So back at that time, I had a partner and we got in the car after I became a Christian and he didn't know anything about that because... I didn't even know how to explain my yeah. experience at that point. And I'd been born again and that's all I knew. 
So I got in the car with him. He lit up a joint, passed it over to me, and I said, oh, no, I'm, I'm cool. And he looked at me. Again, that's strange, isn't it? He yeah. looked at me like there's something wrong with me. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> I'm not having drugs. <laughs> but anyway, we went to, the, went to the beach, had a surf on the way back. He lights a joint because that was our standard average day. And he passed it over and I said, no, nah, man, I'm cool. And he said, what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still remember that. I think it's the funniest thing ever. And I said, listen, man, um, I've become born again. I'm a Christian. And uh, he looked at me like, you know, man, what language are you speaking? <laughs> anyway, the next four days I had a dilemma. Of course, I was at home and I was getting to know God and hear his voice. And I heard him speak to me and I started to pray and talk. And, I, and we use these words, pray, they sound a bit religious. They're, they're true, but I was just talking with God and he was talking to me. And, and I asked him what he wanted me to do with all the drugs I had. And, and in my mind I thought, oh, should I dob myself into the police and hand them in and... Uh, should I burn them all out the back? I really didn't know. In the end, I just had peace, right or wrong, I'm not sure, but I think it was right for me. And I just uh, said to my friend who was in the drug scene, uh, listen, I'm out, you can have it all. And you can imagine, he was a very happy boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he cashed in big time. Yeah. And I just, I just uh, gave him everything, got out of the drug scene, and I still remember... Probably my first really uh, radical experience with God. And two weeks after I became a Christian, I'd been going to a church at Rockdale uh, with a very well-known man named Jack Burrell, a lovely, humble man, just a really incredible, humble man. And I was having a good experience there. Uh, But two weeks after I'd been born again, I got in the train at Regent's Park, and it's about a 40-minute journey into Circular Quay where I get on the ferry. And I got in the train late in the afternoon as peak hour. I was in the double-decker train in the end section where everybody sits on their broad benches and they have two chrome poles and it was packed. I think you'd say there'd be somewhere like 30, 40 people. And I was sitting there and in my heart I was talking to the Holy Spirit and I probably couldn't have told you even that it was the Holy Spirit at that time. You know, I didn't have any language around my experience. And I said to to the Lord, I said... Uh, you're a God of love, and I know you are because I've experienced it. And I looked around the train and I thought, I don't know, I just felt like no one knew him in the train. I don't know whether my judgment was right, but I felt comfortable with that. And I said, God, if you were here and you knew that people were going to hell and you're a God of love, you would have to do something. You couldn't sit here and not do anything. And I said, in a sense, you're not here, I am, and I'm your servant, I want to follow you. So if you would speak to me in a way that I can understand, I'd do my best, you know, to represent you. And so I prayed that prayer and asked him to give me something to say. And you have to remember, two weeks ago I was in the drug scene and if you know anyone in the drug scene, they usually can't look at you in the eyes, they're shy, look away from you, and that was my experience. I, I couldn't talk in public in any way. I was very embarrassed and very self-conscious, extremely, had been for years. So... When I was in this train, uh, as only two weeks later, I was waiting on God to speak to me. And because this was all new to me, in my mind I thought, should I get up and just say something religious? And I thought, oh, that's a bit stupid. Nah. And that took about 20 minutes to process that. And I thought, oh, God won't use me. Look at me. I'm a wiped out, fat, druggy sort of a kid. And then that passed. And the best thing I ever did was wait. And I waited and waited and then 
all of a sudden, it felt like a drop of water into a bucket of water. This picture came into my mind that came from the Holy Spirit. And I, I still remember it vividly. And that was I saw a picture of a group of people sightseeing as if they're going up to Katoomba and they're walking along green grassy paddock and they're going to walk to the edge of a cliff face where there might be a thousand foot drop. But the last 20 or 30 feet, uh, they, they'll stop probably 10 foot before the edge so they're nice and safe. But the last 30 feet is green slippery moss but it looks like grass. And there was a man who lived in the house who knew about the grass. He's seen people slide off and die before and that was a movie went on in my head. Now, when that movie came into my mind, I didn't realise that was prophetic revelation coming from the Holy Spirit. That was my first experience of the Holy Spirit really moving in that way in my life. And as that happened, I was filled with courage and boldness and I literally became a totally different person. I had no fear at all. I went from being shy and really self-conscious to be totally bold and then on top of that, the train stopped between the two stations. I thought that was just amazing. <laughs> so triggered from that, I got up in the middle of this train. I said, excuse me, everybody. And they all turned around and looked at me. And to my surprise, they actually all shut up. Yeah. And I said, I just need to say something. And I told them the story of all these people walking on this grassy paddock, going to have a look at this beautiful scenery like at Katoomba with a cliff face, but the last 30 feet being green slippery moss, and I said, what sort of person would you be if you knew about that danger and didn't warn those people? And they all looked at me and they were all totally quiet. It was amazing. And I said, in the same way, God has told me to stand before you today that this life is like green slippery moss and you never know when you're going to go. And I guarantee you, many of you in this room right now have got a mother, a father, brother or sister who's either got cancer, maybe you yourself, where life can just disappear all of a sudden which these days I know very well because of other things. And everybody was like the presence of God was in that place. Out of that 30 or 40 people, you could have heard a pin drop. And everybody didn't say a whisper. I sat down and the presence of God, which I understand now, came upon me. I knelt, I sort of sat down and put my head between my uh, knees and I just wept and wept and wept. And literally, and I'm not, not exaggerating, there was a puddle under my eyes and it wasn't just Kevin being emotional. I felt it was God through me weeping over these people. And that stayed that way. And eventually, a few minutes later, the train started. The train was silent. We went to next station, the next station. We got to eventually Circular Quay 10 minutes later. There hadn't been a word in this train. And then three girls that I believe were Roman Catholic background, Italian girl, in their late 20s to middle 30s got up. And the older sister came over and I was wiping, to be honest with you, all the stuff off my nose. I was, <laughs> I was a mess. Everything was dripping everywhere. She looked down with tears in her eyes and asked me my name. And I said it was Kevin. And she said to me, Kev, I want to let you know what you've said to me has meant so much to me. And then just started to bawl her eyes out again, which got me going. <laughs> her sisters were going. And I had to get up to leave as well. But the train was silent. There was such a reverence uh, towards the things of God in that place. And I learnt of the Holy Spirit really early on in my walk. And so that's been my experience through from that time. G'day, this is Des. And this week on Momentum, we're continuing our conversation with Kevin Young. If you missed last week's show, you can find that wherever you find your podcasts or on our website, MomentumAustralia.org. Before the break, we heard about Kevin's heart for those outside of the church. And I asked Kevin to speak more about this aspect of his personality. 
I really like people. I, I, I think I'm exaggerating. I really love people. And I'm talking about just people, no matter who you are, no matter how bent or crooked you are even, you know, <laughs> I find people really interesting. And I think God loves everybody of every background, every walk. And uh, for that reason, uh, over the years... Uh, I've been in trains and buses. I, like I said, my first experience was a group of 40 or 50 people. And so I've been in situations like that many times in my life where I feel I've waited on the Holy Spirit to speak to me and then I'd share what, whatever he'd, he'd given. And I've seen, uh, I remember Sydney when I was coming home from Rockdale one night at 1.30 in the morning and I got in the train, I was a double-decker in the same sort of carriage and a guy who was a gay guy came in and propositioned me, tried to crack onto me. And so I rejected that guy and he got out of the train a bit probably offended by me. Um, and at the end of that, what happened was um, God spoke to me. He said, Kev, get out of the train. Go and spend some time with this guy. And in the end, that guy gave his heart to Christ and came to church. And at that time, he had a boyfriend he was living with and he brought him because he, he felt loved and accepted and uh, he was converted, came to Christ at that time. And I realised uh, because God loves everybody, my attitude can get in the way and my judgement of people can get in the way. And so that was a big lesson for me with different types of people that I've met. And uh, I don't know, uh, I've met many men now and I've met many men who have been uh, one kid who came to my house with my son Zach uh, my son rang me up at 1.30 one night and he said, Dad, stay up. I'm bringing someone home that's very important. And we had a close relationship. And uh, when he brought this kid who was about 16, uh, he sat him down and he started to share. Uh, he had just left his home because his father told him to, in not so nice a word, in a lot more colourful words than mine, to get lost and get off his property, pulled a gun out, put it to his head. So this kid had gone through hell and back and Zach had brought him home to live with us for a while which was not uncommon. We'd, we had guys like that pretty off and on through our life. And uh, so what I'm just saying by that is we don't know what people have gone through. Sometimes people just need time. And we do tend, don't we, as men, to judge people really quickly. We make assessments really quickly. And, and one of the messages I'm getting from what you're saying is, you know, the Holy Spirit guides us to, to treat people properly, to treat people with respect, to... Take people at face value and just accept them for who God sees them as. And so we as men find that very difficult to do. That's yeah, so good. So you, you did have some experience with mission work and all that sort of stuff. Do you want to talk briefly about that? We'll talk about you know the next part of your life uh, in another interview. But yeah, just talk yeah. about that a little bit. Well, I'd, I'd been in a local church. I left Rockdale Church because the pastor there passed away. And I ended up in Manly. And I used to travel from Regents Park to Manly two or three times a week for a couple of years. And it's about a four, sometimes five-hour trip. And so I'd have a lot of time in the trains. And uh, my wife and I, at that stage, I, I uh, met a lady and she was on a 40-day water fast and I did a 30-day. <laughs> and we met and uh, a few days after we met, God spoke to me and told me I was going to marry her. And uh, that's another journey itself. Uh, but eventually in that church, 60 people or 60% of the church uh, came to Christ through my wife and myself. So eventually the pastor in the church did what they call commissioned us in the office of an evangelist. And so we were involved in church planning at Narrabeen and 
eventually we met all Chinese people. This when back in the 80s when Beijing and all the uh, massacre was happening in Beijing. And so there's a lot of Chinese students around Manly learning English. And uh, we led about 55 to Christ and started the Chinese church. So that was a really interesting period of time. We met some uh, travelling Chinese older gentlemen. Uh, we didn't realise one man who visited our church was checking us out and he'd spent 24 years in jail in many different periods of time and was persecuted in China and was now uh, had a responsibility to oversight a lot of the underground church. So that was early in the peace and we also got involved with the uh, South Korean church at Greenacre where we used to go and the Koreans would evangelise us Australians. <laughs> it was a, a very strange thing. And so uh, Mr and Mrs Chung was a pastor there and they had many talented musicians and they could really uh, play music, those guys. And I, I still remember we, I, I used to love uh, they'd have a cup of tea but it was had uh, ginger and honey, a lot of honey in it. And I'm a bit of a sweet tooth so they're funny things that you remember from back then. And eventually... Later in years, and this is going forward a fair bit, uh, there's a friend of mine, Neville Strawn, with his wife who have a church up in Byron Bay and he used to be part of Lifehouse Church in Coffs Harbour with Steve and his wife Bev uh, Spence. And uh, Neville, I went over to Russia with him, uh, which was a church plant and they used to raise money here in Australia and they'd get, uh, at that time, about 30 uh, people and train them for a month and at the end of the month, they would take them into a private room if they were approved, which generally they were. Uh, they were recommended before they came over. Then they would finance 75% of their income for a year and send them out to do church planting in Russia. And so it was a pretty interesting time because Russia is an unusual place. When we arrived there, um, you know, human trafficking, you know, South Korea to Russia and uh, a lot of prostitution, all those things we got confronted with. And so a lot of the mafia there and to see what was going on in that world was a real eye-opener. Wow. And, and years, years earlier too, just Indonesia, we had a, a trip over to Indonesia much earlier than this with Terry Damonson and met up with Pontus Pardidi and his wife, Mavis. Wow. <laughs> he was a Borneo man, a, a Batak Borneo man. And he wow. had a Bible college there of 300 students, so was over there involved in church planning. That's amazing. We've been talking with Kevin Young and it's been uh, lovely to hear his story, but as you'll hear in the next episode, things don't always work out the way we, uh, the, the way we planned. And, and the next interview is going to be tough for Kevin, and I'm just letting you know that you know, he's, uh, he'll deal with it and he'll struggle through it and it'll be really cool because he talks about the raw side of Christianity and the raw side of life and how he's managed to get through that. So thank you, Kevin, for today. Yeah. It's been really good chatting to you. Yeah, you too, Des. For more information, go to MomentumAustralia.org. You can also access a whole range of resources to help you on your journey and to get in touch with the team at MomentumAustralia.org.